1: Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 41. Jeep is a registered trademark.
0: This is a true crime podcast, as the title suggests. So please consider this your warning that it's not suitable for children and it probably will contain content that may be triggering to some people. Also, it's an Australian true crime podcast, so Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners should be aware it may contain the voices of deceased people.
2: The producers of this podcast recognise the traditional owners of the land on which it's recorded. They pay respect to the Aboriginal elders past, present and those emerging.
1: The
0: identity of a former music teacher who sexually abused students in the 1990s can finally be revealed.
2: Trent Wickers hid behind his role as a music teacher to groom and then abuse young female students. Now, more than two decades later, the 49-year-old's identity can finally be revealed one of the survivors of his abuse fought for his name to be made public. If I'm prepared to put my name and face to this for the sake of of the public good and any stigma that comes with that comes with that, I'd be pretty disappointed if uh, he didn't have to face the same thing.
0: Our guest today is Anna. She's a fabulous, vivacious woman who seems to have lived many lifetimes. She casually mentions former careers and uni degrees while chatting about moving around the country and appearing too young to have possibly done it all. But the deeper we got into the business of why she joins us on Australian True Crime, the more I realised I'd initially missed what we so often do about people like Anna and their crazy, fast-paced lives. For many years, Anna was trying to cope with the fact that she'd been preyed upon by a teacher and the matter had never felt resolved in any way. An unbelievably chance encounter changed Anna's life and led her to confront the situation and her attacker. This is Anna's story. I had a good childhood.
2: It was pretty isolated because we are on a farm and my parents worked full-time as well and I didn't have any siblings until I was sort of school age. so I was a little bit probably not... Terribly social kid, but happy enough. But yeah, really into art and that kind of thing. Yeah. I, used to, I spent a lot of time by myself. I had some sort of neurodivergent tendencies that okay. sort of weren't really picked up at the time. But yeah, it was all all good. Mm-hmm. Until I was about late primary school, it started getting a little bit interesting. I, I was already quite young for my grade because my birthday is past the middle of the year. So I was the youngest already, but... They decided to skip me and they sort of went, Do we do one year, two years? What should we do there? Mm. And so
0: it's difficult. I know now having kids school age that there's parents sometimes have this issue where it's like, if a child is smart enough, book smart, but then it's like, but socially mature enough, are they going to cope with the kids mm. socially? Mm. To be skipped forward? It's a real balancing act? Yeah, it was
2: that was tricky. And mm. I think that's why they decided on just one year in the end.
0: Wow, and you're already younger. So you're quite young. Yeah, I
2: was 11. And, and they wow. said, oh, we've got a bunch of year 10 students that aren't doing very well at maths. Do you want to maybe tutor them? Wow, no. <laughs> I was like, uh, no. No. <laughs> I don't think that's cool. That's not cool. I don't think
0: they'd think that was very cool either. No.
2: Yeah, so high school probably didn't get off to the greatest social stuff. <laughs>
0: By that stage, I
2: started developing some depression. I think I think that yeah. runs in my family a little bit, and and I sort of wasn't ever with in the popular groups that sort of thing. You know, I, I was a bit awkward and a bit alternative, and so I, I had some friends, but I sort of moved friendship groups quite regularly. And yeah, I was what they would call in the nineties, you know, alternative. Yes, yes. Yeah. I started getting into music. Around that time too, I'd played a bit of piano as a kid, on and off. Around that time as well, I found an old guitar in the storeroom at home that must have been my dad's like in the 70s when he was at uni or something. Mm. I started teaching myself guitar and that became more interesting than school at that point. Yeah, (laughs) I don't know. I I think I I started spiralling a little bit Mm -hmm. Um, and that sort of set me up, I think, to be a good target for this so um, this teacher was mid twenty, I think he was about 26 when he came to our school and he was sort of the cool, you know, the cool young teacher and he'd let you jam in the music room at lunchtime and he'd played in bands and it started out with like lots of compliments, you know, about when I mean, we had to wear a uniform but when we'd have casual days or whatever, you know, oh, you should stay my band and and then it started what he did with me was he said... Um, you should join the choir. And I said, oh, well, I don't sing. Like I noodle all around on the guitar and write my own songs, but I don't sing, sing. And so he said, oh, that's, that's all right. I'll give you some singing lessons at lunchtime. And I was like, "Ah, oh, okay. And I knew that you're supposed to have a, you know, if, if you're having private music tuition, you pay fees and there's an agreement. And it wasn't that at all. It was, Free singing lessons you don't need to tell your parents because it's not going to cost them anything. Mm. But by that stage, I was asking a lot more about my personal life, you know, my family life, and just paying a lot more one-on-one attention. And then uh, so many music teachers, I mean, I shouldn't say so many music teachers are offenders, that's not what I mean, but a lot of offenders are music teachers because Mm. it gives you a reason to touch somebody. I need to correct your posture, Uh. straighten your shoulders... Feel your diaphragm, yeah, breathing in and out, and so you become used to being touched by that person. And it sort of became clear to me, I think, that there were other girls too that he was doing that Mm
0: -hmm. to.
2: Yeah, a a few in particular. So my, I there was only one incident with me because I sort of called him out after it was the last day of term, and then we went on holidays and. I think it gave me time to process what had happened. Um, it upset me at the time, sort of that afternoon after the bell rang and he unlocked the door and opened the windows and stuff again. I went to my next class. To let
0: you out. Mm. Mm.
2: You know, that's I don't I hadn't even realized he'd locked the door until oh. afterwards I saw him unlock it and like give me that shushing motion, you know, putting his finger up to his lips like don't mm. you know, I don't know what that meant. But I think I'd just, I just—I was just a bit in shock, and then that afternoon, as, as I started to think about it, I got upset. But then I went away for school holidays, and
0: how old were you? Uh,
2: I just turned fourteen.
0: And so, how much did you know about sex? Uh, enough, enough to
2: definitely know that, like, it was all wrong.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, you knew that he'd committed a sexual act, or oh yeah, yeah oh okay. hell yeah. yeah,
2: and um. And I knew that there were particular things about it that it could have got a lot worse had I not had my period, or yeah, yeah right. had the bell not rang, or right. My best friend at the time that afternoon, because we were in class together, and I said I've got to go and went to the toilets, and I was upset, and she, so I told her at the time, which was fortuitous because she kept a diary, and when we came to. prosecute 25 years later, she still had that diary.
0: That's amazing. Yeah,
2: which was was such a valuable piece of evidence. But when we came back the next term, um, we had this class called Christian Living, you know, it's like religion, and um, we had to do a project on some really controversial topic like abortion or mm. gay rights or, you know, all the things that you'd get expelled from that school for doing, yeah, basically. Yeah. And um, one of the options was child abuse and I said, child sexual abuse, and I said, I'll do that one. And another girl, I remember exactly where we were, coming out of the library, and she said, I know why well, you chose that. And I went, oh, you what, I don't know what you're talking about. And she's like, no, I know, because it's happening to me too. She was in the band um, and it was happening after band practice. And that's when I got really angry and went with her and pulled him out of the staff room at lunchtime and said, I know what you're doing.
0: Bullshit. You went to the staff room. Knock, knock, knock. Yeah. Excuse me. Uh, Mr. Can I see yeah. Mr. Yeah. Wow. At 14. Yeah. Both um, of you together or just you? Yeah. I took her with me. Oh, my goodness.
2: Yeah. And he sort of denied it initially, and then he went, all right, okay, I get it. I won't do it again.
0: Oh, my God.
2: And I was like, good.
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> I'll believe you. Well sure. <laughs> sure. Yeah.
2: Great. Yeah. But that settled then. Kate, the other girl, hers had been going on longer and um, had gotten worse and she, at some point, confided in another teacher about what was happening and then, of course, because of mandatory reporting, obviously. Yeah. So so our parents got called and we got pulled down to the local police station to make a statement. And, and that sort of all I was told was, you are here to make a p- statement. And I was like, okay. It wasn't sort of given an option. Mm. So I'm in this little room. It's, what, 95, so it's handwritten, mm. a co- really young constable, dude Who's got terrible spelling and terrible handwriting, and sitting there? And I'm sitting there with my mum, and he's sort of asking me, Did this happen? Did this happen? And I sort of just tried to downplay it as much as
0: Yeah, because have could. you had a chance to talk to your mum about it first? Or is was this the first she's hearing of it?
2: It's the first she's hearing of it. Oh, Jesus. And I didn't have the kind of relationship with her at the time where I would have wanted to talk to her about yeah, it anyway.
0: Yeah. What 14 year old girl does, unfortunately. Mm. Yeah. Maybe now, but yeah, because I was wondering that though, when, when you told your best friend that afternoon, and then of course, when you marched down to the staff room, I was thinking, where does this come from? Where does this courage and this ability to speak about it come from? Because we know a lot of people just can't. Mm. And I was wondering, did you have a really open relationship at home? Were, you, did, were your parents really open about conversations about this stuff at home? Like No, no. I wonder where it came from with you.
2: I think... Certainly, the way I grew up was—it's not that bad. Like nothing's that bad. You know, you don't go to the hospital or the doctor unless you're pretty much dead. You Same, know, yeah, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And but we didn't really talk. We didn't talk about feelings or anything in my family. Like I, you know, I think on both sides of my family, there's a fair bit of neurodiversity going on. Yeah,
0: and, and there's a fair bit of germanness.
2: There's a lot of (laughs) Germanness. and I joke about that, but it's true. It's like stoic, stoic. Very stoic.
0: I can't imagine there was a lot of, you know, your body, your rules, or any of those conversations that we had. No one was having those conversations in the 90s, 80s and 90s. No, that's right. So, yeah, where did it come from with you, the guts?
2: I have just always had this insane sense of social justice. I Mm. think, you know, even by this stage already, random people at school who were going through something traumatic would seek me out and I'd take them home and look after them until they were better and then to the point where I remember the school chaplain saying to me, hey, you're taking on a lot of other people's stuff that they should be seeing the school counselor yeah. about. Yeah. <laughs> look, if it had just been my, I don't know if I would have done the same thing if it was just my incident, but because it had affected yeah. Kate,
0: that, that was not okay. No, because you were just going to do a project about it. Yeah. <laughs> until yeah that's that's going to solve the problem. Yeah, you know? <laughs> Until she came forward and that's when you went, oh, yeah. hell no. And then once it, once it got to, you have to go to the
2: police station, then it was like, oh, okay, this is serious. Yeah. But I was still so groomed and I was still so convinced that we were friends. I was friends with him. He'd promised not to do it anymore. So it was all over, so I'll just play down my police report and they said, do you want to press charges? And I said, No. And they said, Well, if there's two of you, right? So if there's two of you pressing charges, there's a good chance something will happen. Mm. If it's just one of you, it probably won't. And I said, No, I'm not pressing charges. He's he's fine. It was just a silly thing that he accidentally did and he knows he, he knows he was wrong. Was I've like, dealt with it. Yeah. Yeah. So I went home. And pulled out the, you remember the big white pages? Yes. And everybody had their surname listed in there. And I went through everyone with his surname until I found him, his home phone number, and I warned him. And I said, did you ring him? I rang him. Oh, my God. I know. And I said, oh, look, this has happened. Kate's told someone and we had to go down and make these police statements. And But don't worry, I didn't tell them anything much, but you're not allowed to come into school anymore and they're going to tell you that your job's done. Jeez. And he was like, oh, shit, you know, he panicked. Yeah. Um, and that was that. that was the Kate last time I spoke to him. Did
0: Kate and her family?
2: Well, press... Kate changed schools. And mm. so I didn't know until the Royal Commission, when I had contact with her again, that she tried to for a full year. Mm. She was going in, making statement after statement, and the school kept disputing, oh, you didn't have band practice that night, so that couldn't have happened. Oh, or. No. You know, so she tried and tried, and it didn't go anywhere. You poor girls. And I think I, just the gravity of it—I didn't understand yet. Of
0: course you didn't, because no, no one explained it to you. And no,
2: there's no—you know—there's no, you know, no you know, counselling about these sorts no. of things. As that was that.
0: And how did your parents cope?
2: Um, I don't really remember that. We didn't ever talk about it.
0: Yeah.
2: Mum says in retrospect, she says she remembers me saying, "I can handle it myself," and I—I I did. I felt fine about my situation for years. But I always had this sort of curiosity. I was like, I wonder where he went and I wonder what happened. And Adelaide's not very big. So, you know, I remember my cousin saying, oh, he's at this school and he's doing this dodgy thing and he's over there and he's being dodgy. And and it bothered me. And it it was some years later, it was when I was in my mid-20s, I remember, I'd Google him every now and again and I could see that he was still teaching. And I found this website called ratemyteacher.com. Which is where students would log on and give their teacher a star rating and write little comments about them, and everything for him was either five stars, legend, so funny, really cool, or one star, total creep, stay away from him.
0: Yeah.
2: And I was like, ah, oh, this doesn't feel right. And so I could see what school he was at and that he—I knew that he'd been there for a while—and I called the principal one day and said, I oh, just it's just on my mind, you've got this teacher at, this, at your school and I'm wondering if you know that he's been investigated for sexually abusing students. And she kind of went, oh, um, oh yeah, we do know that, but he never got convicted, so there's nothing we can do about it. Bye. <sighs> and then she rang me back the next day and she said, oh, sorry, I think I was a bit dismissive. Um, okay. Yeah, we do know he's got some kind of history, but he's still got his teaching licence um, but maybe you need to get some counseling, and I went, mm, Oh, wow, okay, yeah oh. <laughs> wow, yeah, I wasn't coping brilliantly with life by that stage. you know, I'd had a few other sexual assaults, which is common you know once you 're a victim once, and you sort of lose respect for your own body and your own decision making can get a bit sketchy, and you might get some substance abuse problems and that sort of thing you you I had um, a seven year relationship, and I think that saved me th- through my late teens and mid 20s. But by my late 20s, when things were starting to go a bit off the rails, me in particular was going a bit off the rails. Yes. That's when I started thinking about it more. And it was worrying me more. And then the Royal Commission was announced. And because I'd been a journalist, I think I, I still followed the news a lot and and I was hearing all these sort of stories of this person's finally been arrested after this number yeah. of years because person A, person B and person C have all told a similar story from a different time, from a different place, mm. and they've gone, oh, join all the dots. Yeah. And I went, oh, maybe I should register and just tell them my little story just in case, just in case. And they contacted me and I didn't answer the call and then I didn't answer the email. And then I was, like, I was like, nah, mine's not serious enough. Like, these guys, what they're dealing with, you know, you hear the stories of what was coming out in the early days of it. And I was just like, oh, my God, my stuff's so insignificant. I'm not going to bother. I'll forget it. And then it got extended. The Royal Commission got extended. And and then, there, and you know, and there were girls like the sisters with Malcolapha. And I was like, oh, man, I really admire that, these people that are doing that. I'm fucker. I'm going to do it. Went along and gave them my statement, and they said, um, Okay, you should tell the police this as well. And by this stage, you know, the way police handle these kinds of things is quite different to what it was in 1995, That's
0: right? That's the thing, too, right? Because so many people have had such a shit experience the first time they've ever tried. It's yeah. put them off for life. Yeah. How was this second experience? 180. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, so yeah.
2: different. This. Really, First of all, it was a woman. Mm -hmm. It took us several sessions. She didn't rush me at all. It was really comfortable, you know, safe surroundings. It was debrief afterwards. But they said to me, did you ever make a statement at the time? And I said, yeah, I did actually. It wasn't necessarily 100% accurate, but it was like I was downplaying it a bit to protect him. But I did make a statement. And they went, oh, great, we'll find out. That'll help. And the police said, oh... They went looking for it and the police station where I'd made the report said, oh, no, we we can't find it. And sometimes we just put papers in a box under a desk and then they'd go missing and um, yeah. we don't have it. And we said, oh, okay, that's unfortunate. So they asked the DPP, have you got it? And they said no. And so the detective was like, oh, that is a bugger because that would have been really helpful to have. Um, but it turned out the education department had it.
0: Oh, my God.
2: So we got it. Got the original, and obviously that aligned with what the statement I'd made
0: then. And Kate's, did they have Kate's? Yep. Wow. If you would like to speak to someone about the issues we're talking about today, you can call the 1800 Respect National Helpline on 1800 737 732 or Lifeline.
1: A reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way. An innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, Mel. Bri here. Gotta work from home today because the whole family caught a nasty. Hey, Mikey, if you're going to puke, find the popcorn bowl.
2: Um, wow. like a couple of weeks later for the first time. Mm. And that was disturbing. <laughs> I walked into a pub with my friend and I saw the back, just the back of his head and went, oh, my God, it's him. Oh. I know, straight away. And my friend said, oh, let's go. And I was like, I don't want to go because I might want to talk to him and this might be the only chance I ever get to do that. I said, let's just sit here for a bit and turned out his band was playing. So they played a set and I had a bit of liquid courage (laughs) as I tended to do a lot at that stage. It was a family pub, right, and there were these young girls dancing out the front, like right in front of him, really young girls. Mm -hmm. And I just went, nah, I'm fired up now. So they had their set break and she said, do you want to talk to him? And I said, Yeah, I do. I don't know what I want to say yet, but she said I'll go and she went over and there was I think three of them in the band and she, they all. She said, oh, Do you want to come and sit with us and have a drink? And so these three guys all came and sat with us, and she sort of was talking with them and and he said something about his kids playing, or learning to play the drums. So he didn't recognise you, boy. no, 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 and I sort of looked at him and went. Have you got kids, Trent? And he went, I haven't told you my name. Like he could, I could see him click and then he went, Dh-h-h-h-h-h. and then he went white and just disappeared from the table. Yeah. My friend went over to him, he's tuning his guitar and mucking around or something. And she went over and said, This is what she reports to me. I didn't hear the conversation, but something to the effect of, um, You know that. One thing that you do can change someone's whole life. And he obviously sort of said, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. And then she said, yes, you do. And he's like, oh, was this, I, this was in the 90s. Things were different then. I'm a Christian now. I don't do that sort of stuff anymore. I'm a, I'm a dad. And so she told me this and I was like, okay, I want to believe that. I want to believe that he doesn't do this sort of stuff anymore he's left it behind just because that's the normal trajectory of this kind of thing Yeah. so then I was thinking okay well hopefully he stopped see what the detectives come up with with Kate and I meantime I'm not travelling well so I'm
0: I was just thinking that now you keep using that, those sort of, you know, <laughs> not, traveling, not well. traveling well. I'm thinking, how do you go home? How do you spend the next couple of days? What's happening? I mean, you are you drinking daily? Are yeah. You...
2: And at this stage I was, I was booked into a, a residential rehab, like yeah. a therapeutic community as nice. they call them. So kind of, it's an interesting model because mm. <laughs> there's no actual mental health support and there's not really any governance or oversight. It's, it's just fellow residents. It was, um, the middle of winter, and, and it's, this place is way out in the Adelaide Hills, and what sort of looks like farmhouses.
0: How long were you there for?
2: I did six weeks. You're supposed to do three months. But after six weeks, I went, This isn't helping me. But while I was there, um, I met this younger girl. She was really cool. We, um, we got along well. She was, um, I was a bit introverted and a bit. Weird. <laughs> yeah. I felt weird anyway. But she was really extroverted and she played footy and she was really cool. And um, But we both, I think, used exercise as a way of sort of releasing any form of emotion. Yeah, right. Really. Exactly. Yeah. Um, we were both diagnosed, I think, by that time as borderline, as, you know, a lot of girls with traumatic pasts uh, get labelled. Yeah. If you were good enough for long enough, you were allowed to go for a run up this hill. You had to have a longer term resident with you as like a chaperone. And so she could, she'd been there for months. And so she could chaperone me up this hill. We went running up this hill one one day and we sat at the top and um, we just sort of chatting. In those sorts of places, you just sort of delve right into the deep shit with people straight away. Like, why are you here? Where do you come from? Blah, blah, blah. So we both, we knew at that stage, oh, we both had some kind of abuse at school, but. You know, she was much younger than me and mine was a long time ago. So we carried on for a couple more weeks or something. And then I was in her room one night. We all had these little, you know, single beds um, divided by wardrobes and you're not allowed in each other's space. So I was naughty being in there. <laughs> um, but she had um, some photos stuck up on the wall beside her bed I was sort of looking at one and she saw me looking at it and she laughed because she was wearing a dress and she was such a tomboy. And she said, that's like, ha! that's the only time you'll ever see me wearing a dress. It was my 18th, but it was also coincidentally my school formal. Mm. And I said, oh, what, what school did you go to? And she told me and my brain just went back to that Rate My Teacher website and went, did you have a teacher there? And she cut me off and she said his name. She said, train workers. I said, yeah. She said, how do you know him? I said, well, because he was my offender. And she went, oh, he was mine too. Oh, my
0: God. Yeah. That's incredible.
2: So she was 13 years younger than me. Oh. So then I knew it hasn't stopped. And it was just like we were just both in shock, I think.
0: And you knew he was still teaching because you'd put in the phone call. To his current employers. Yeah, 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 he was was still there. How did that revelation affect what you were trying to achieve at that facility though? Yeah, it was very disruptive. Yeah.
2: In in fact, it wasn't too long after that that I had a suicide attempt because Mm. I was just overwhelmed with fear and guilt and that, like, I had the opportunity to stop this guy Mm. literally 20 years ago Mm. and I didn't.
0: And in any other situation, meeting her and having that conversation would have been the exact moment you'd go, hang on, I need a drink to finish this conversation. Mm. You know, I need my crutch. And you couldn't in that situation. So you really had to walk through that sober. How challenging.
2: And she, I knew that she'd been there for, like she'd had serious long-term heavy, heavy drug problems. Mm. I told her about the Royal Commission, she didn't know anything about it and she decided to make a statement. She made her statements to the Royal Commission and she went to police several times and made statements there. And then one night I was down in my room and someone said, oh, there's a phone call, come up to the house where there's the one phone on the property and the detective had called my mum. And said, we've arrested him. And by coincidence, one of my friends now, who I didn't know at the time, his mum worked at that school as well. And she remembers it. She said, they all rolled in, the cops rolled in, you know, confiscated all the school computers, like the principal read out a prepared statement and
0: we've got him. Wow. So you were still in the facility together. She was still there when that news came in.
2: Yeah. Nothing happened for another three years. And how did you go in that time? Ah, ups and downs. Ups and downs. Yep. Ups and downs. And then eventually he called and said, we're going to trial. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I sort of wanted to be really clear on what that would look like. So have you ever read um, Brie Lee's book, Eggshell Skull?
0: No, I've heard about it. Mm. Yeah, I must.
2: I read that, that had just came, come out and I was like, this is perfect because this is really setting me up for what this is going to look like look like. Why? What about it? How brutal the system is. Yes. Okay. How, what cross-examination is like. Yes. What the statistics are actually like. You know, how you're going to get ripped to shreds basically and probably not get a conviction, you know. And then I I watched a couple of episodes of Insight that were about this sort of thing. And I had a, a couple of well, one really good friend in particular who was a really good support, and my mum by by this stage was was really batting for me. I think, yeah, she was pretty fired up about it by that stage. Oh, I think, God yeah, bless
0: her, good <laughs> on yeah, yeah, great. So then
2: trial. So of course, so that there's no collusion, I don't know who else is a witness.
0: Yeah, of course, or a victim. Yeah,
2: and I can't sit in proceedings until after I've given my evidence. Then I can. Mm. So my mum went in the first day. It was an open court in the end. We didn't think it was going to be. It was judge alone. You get to choose as the perpetrator if you want a judge alone or a jury. You get to choose quite a lot when you're the accused, as it turns out. I didn't get called the first day or the second day, and I thought that was strange because I thought they'd probably go in chronological order. Hmm. Then I thought oh, I must have. they must not be doing that. They must be doing it in some other order. And my mum obviously wasn't allowed to say a word to me about what she went in with a notebook on the first day. They just took that straight off her and went, no, you're not taking any nights.
0: But you're assuming you're the earliest victim, mm. right? So for two days you're thinking, what the fuck are they doing? Mm. In there? What, are they, what are they talking about? Mm.
2: Mm. So then the third day, I think it was, third or fourth day, they said, come in. I don't, we might not get to you, but come in and be ready. So you go into this little waiting room off to the side of the court and there would have been Eight or ten people in there. And I don't know who any of them are, but I could hear some others talking. There were a couple of girls that had quite a heavy European accent. And they said something about this town down in the southeast.
0: Hmm.
2: And I went, in my head, he was there before he was at our school. And they, they got called and they did their thing and I didn't get called yet. And the next day, then, then I did know some people in the waiting room. There was my friend from school who had the diary. Oh. There was Kate. And there's this old PE teacher who I hadn't seen since high school. And I was like, what are you doing here? And she said, she, well, she said, do you remember me? And I said, yeah, of course I do. She said, I remember that day. I passed you on the stairs when you were running out of class. And I said, something is wrong. And you said, I'll be right. And you just kept running. Amazing. And I was like, how on earth did they find you? Like, Because I'd asked around a few teachers because I thought, oh, I wonder, teachers must have known something was going on. And, and a few of them said, oh, we suspected. We suspected with this girl and we suspected, but we never knew. So mm. no one was going to stand up in court and say that, obviously. No.
0: And then they called me and gave my evidence. What was that like? I mean, I've never given ev- mm. evidence. You've never given given evidence. No. He's in there. Yep. And then they start asking you. His they, wife's in there. His wife's in there.
2: Yeah. So they said, so do you want to swear on the Bible? And I said, no, <laughs> I'll do the oath, thanks. I'm not really into this whole religion thing at the moment. <laughs> I've got a few issues with it. Because I was really prepared for what the actual process would look like. And I think also because I'd trained as a journo and a newsreader, I can kind of flick into that mode a little bit. Mm -hmm. You go through first telling your side of the story with your prosecutor prompting you. So, you know, tell us about this, tell us about that. And, And I could see him asking me specifically about things like touching your hair and locking the door and closing the curtains and I thought, okay, he's touching on some of this stuff in particular. That's interesting. And the judge was the judge was awesome. Yeah. He said to me straight up, we hear this sort of stuff every day. So please don't feel embarrassed or great. Yeah. He he was really sensitive. In fact, when I then got cross-examined, so the dude had um a QC who's like one of Adelaide's most renowned women. Um But she was, I knew she was going to be brutal because the the detective had said to me, she's going to, and this is what she's going to go you on. She's going to go you on your mental health history and she's going to try and claim that you're
0: mental. Yeah. Mm.
2: That you're no good as a witness and you're basically suffering from psychosis and have made the whole thing up. Yep. Which is what she tried to do. She was trying to clearly trying to discredit me any way that she could. I mean, that's what they do, right? So it's not even about the facts of this incident or that incident. But if I say the piano was facing that way and you say the piano was facing that way, well, mm. am, am I? You start to doubt yourself. Yeah, I had rehearsed in my head so much, I think, because I was like, I know what she's going to try and do. But I got through it without any issue. Um, and then, you know, I think in the end, the, the judge actually said to her, look, Stop it, basically. You're you're carrying on and it's clear what's happened here. She's made her statement that that's it. So that was fine. Then I could sit in on proceedings
0: after I gave my evidence. So then what was the sense you started to gather?
2: The next day I didn't go in and I I do regret that because I missed another victim's evidence. But I think the next day I was just like, oh, God, I need it.
0: I bet. I need (laughs) a doona day.
2: Yeah. But then after that, he took to the stand which was silly because he contradicted himself all over the place. I was
0: going to say that before. I was going to say I've seen people who've been on the stand lying, yeah, and plan to go and lie and watch them be cross-examined by an expert. I mean that that's harrowing. Yeah, <laughs>
2: that's, he of course was being cross-examined by the prosecutor. Not so he. Did, yes, our prosecutor was quite young, very softly spoken, not didn't come across as intimidating. So he did really. I think leading down some garden paths quite
0: subtly. That they're so subtle, yeah. and it's really hard to lie successfully in court. It was it was quite an an art form. Tell us, in summing up, what did you discover was the truth of what had been happening?
2: So there had been a thirteen year old girl before me who he had raped, and she gave evidence in her victim impact statement that. She uh, feared that she would be pregnant and that everybody could see that she was tainted goods. There was another girl at that school and there was us. And then he had been interviewed by police, obviously, when Kate and I made our statements. And for whatever reason, whether the education union had, recommended it or whatever, he he gave them a written statement signed saying, I did this. To you and Kate? Yep. Right? Yep. So the education department had my original report, Kate's original report, a written admission from him. Jesus. That he'd done it. So then he was counselled um, and told, right, no more one-on-ones with students. You're not to be one-on-ones with students. You're not to ring them at home. You know, he had some restrictions on mm. Um, And then the next school he'd gone to, he'd broken all those rules, offended again, got picked up for it again, (laughs) admitted to it again, cautioned again, and sent on his way. But there was nobody in our case then more recent than that. This
0: is full Catholic school. Carry on. Yeah. And their excuse was always that, you know, they were part of this kind of other organisation that meant that they had this other loyalties and that they were working through counselling internally and they had this other code that they were living by. When they were moving priests around, brothers around, what on earth was the justification from the South Australian Education Department for moving a teacher around who was admitting to sexually assaulting children? Did they have a justification? Did was there the minister, whoever the minister was at the time, called to give evidence or?
2: No, they didn't. Um they did change during our case, they did change one bit of the legislation. You could still keep your teaching license after being arrested until you got convicted. Okay. If you got convicted. So he even
0: if you admitted to it. Yeah.
2: So he even after he got arrested, yeah. he still had his license for three teaching license for three years because he hadn't been convicted yet.
0: I'll almost cop that, to be honest, because <laughs> our system is, you know, innocent till proven yeah, guilty. Yeah. So but if you admit uh, guilt, that yeah. to me changes everything. Yeah. That was the infuriating. That's part. Uh, unbelievable.
2: And then deny in court. So plead not guilty. So the judge went no. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> guilty on five out of six charges. Justice at last for the schoolgirls Trent Wickers took advantage of more than two decades ago. The judge said Wickers' offending was an appalling breach of trust. He used his position as the new young hip music teacher to get close to the girls and then abuse them. At a very formative and vulnerable stage of their young lives, you took advantage of each of them for your selfish prurient purposes today's sentence providing some closure for Wicker's victims and hope for others. One of the things that the judge picked up on that that helped with the convictions was that he'd pick girls with long hair and he'd play with their hair. And that was consistent with all of us, or the touching of the shoulders. The 13-year-old girl before me had been in, into drama, she was an actor, and then he he was directing the school musical, and she was cast as the lead. But she hadn't had any singing experience, so he went, "Oh, that's alright. I'll give you some lunchtime singing lessons. Come in, come into this room, and which has got newspaper over the windows, just for some reason, and the door locked. And yeah, it was it was those consistencies, um, the one-on-one lessons, and the the patterns of grooming." And some of the characteristics in, in the girls too. There was a lot of grooming of the
0: parents too. He got ten years, which is actually very, very good. It is very good. Although, I mean, you know, really and truly should have got ten years for every victim. Mm-hmm. But he's got ten years in total, I'm assuming. Yeah, it was it was seven and a half
2: on parole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um but he appealed, we knew that he would, and it got reduced. Um so it got cut down to seven with five and a bit. So he's up eligible next year, I think. I don't know. The detectives did a lot of work to see if there were more charges they could bring against him from other victims mm. in all of those subsequent years. Yeah. And certainly once, because I did a, a little bit of media at the time and my Facebook got sort of slammed with people going, oh, I remember him, he did this, he did that, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, great, there's lots of other people that will come forward now. And mm-hmm. but, but at this stage I don't think there's been an, enough to take him through for a second round.
0: Trenton John Wickers is his name, so just in case anyone missed that and is Mm. listening to this, and uh, he was a teacher in South Australian schools in the 90s, and up, well, right up until when? 2018. 2018. So that is the name, and we'll we'll certainly put some articles on our social media accounts as well, just in case any of this is ringing a bell for anyone, or in case you're listening and thinking, oh, a friend of mine once mentioned something, you know, had a, a music teacher that they talked about, because it's never too late to report uh, historical sexual assault in Australia. And as you say, he's up for parole next year. So who knows? They can't. I, I'd be shocked to the back teeth if he's had five victims in his career.
2: Certainly doesn't sound like it.
0: Some lives are pretty
2: much destroyed.
0: Thank you to our guest today, Anna. If you need support after listening to this podcast, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14 or contact 1800RESPECT on 1800 737 732 or 1800respect.org.au. Indigenous Australians can contact 13 Yarn on 13 92 76 or 13yarn.org.au. Thank you for downloading this episode of Australian True Crime.